and welcome everybody. Um, so today, a bit of an odd one, uh, literally this morning, although probably not when this is aired, the government goes and raises everything on us. So the Bank of England's raised its uh, its tax rates and uh, fuel and uh, what else we've got, uh, home and energy bills, everything is going up in price, which kind of <clears throat> it means that things like our marketing now and our, uh, wow, crikey, everything really, marketing and retention and the way that we run things have got to be on point because there are going to be some people now who are going to be looking at our martial arts programs going, is this something that we need? Uh, have you positioned yourself in an area where it's a, a skill that's as vital as what parents consider swimming to be? I know that there are a few people out there who will obviously go to bat for this and i'm one of them is like what we teach is just as important as say swimming lessons or something like that but it's really important that we are able to explain and show the parents and the students and and anyone training with us exactly how it is that our programs are just as important this is why it's important to have things like a, a proper life skills program not just something that you slap life skills on it and say hey this teaches you everything you need to know so it's really important that we start to understand the techniques that we use uh, how we use them why we use them and exactly what type of skills it is that they uh, they produce for our kids and our parents alike and our, our adults and essentially anybody that we train and the reason i'm talking about this is not to try and start on a dour note that kind of sucks but it's because the interview that we've got today with Phil Payne, uh, he is very big on child development, as I'm sure many listeners already know, I am as well. But we actually start talking about some of the systems that he uses and some of the, the systems that I use uh, with regards to how we show this to parents just as much as how the children start to feel the benefits, you know, increased um, confidence and increased strength and all these wonderful things that martial arts promises that it gives. And we're it gone is the time now, unfortunately, where we can simply say martial arts improves confidence. Now you have to start to show why and explain how. It's not simply good enough anymore to just turn around and go, well, martial arts just improves confidence because as you get better at martial arts, you gain confidence. We know that this is partially true, but there are systems that we use to improve confidence. Now, I apologize if you can hear a button in the background. I have very foolishly left WhatsApp open on my PC, so I'm just going to close that down now. Very professional of me. But it, we have to go beyond that now as martial artists, as school owners, as business owners. We have to be able to show what our product does, how it does it, and explain it to somebody. Uh, I like Einstein's quote, and I use this all the time when uh, when I'm speaking to my instructors about trying to break down a technique. It's like, if you can't explain it to a child, you don't know it. And it's the same. If you cannot simply explain to a parent or a student how it is that your program delivers on its promises, like increasing confidence and self-discipline and respect, then you don't know it well enough. And you have to start questioning, does my martial arts program actually do what it is I say it does? Or is it just, you know, some people stay long enough that they start to feel very confident in their ability of martial arts, but it doesn't translate across the rest of their lives. So this is going to be a very, very cool interview with Phil Payne, where we go quite deep in some respects, and we offer you some of the systems and some of the things that we use. So without further ado, here's myself and Phil Payne. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to Damon's Digital Dojo, and today we have got the wonderful Philip Payne with us here today. Philip, thank you so much for joining us. 
No problem. So I am really, really bad at introductions, as the listeners already know. So if you could for us, please, given it's your first time with us, speak to yourself a little bit about how you got into martial arts, your background and history, and sort of how that brings you up to where you are today with your maple um, sort of like all the stuff that you're doing there. Cause, cause I'm not going to lie. That's why I wanted to bring you on today. Cause I'm big into child development and programs and systems. Uh, and I like our listeners to learn a little bit. So Philip for the first time, take it away, dude. Hi there, everyone. Um, so my name is Phil Payne. I've been uh, training in martial arts, primarily Taekwondo since 1990. I think it was when I first started. Then I started coaching in 96. Um, while I was, coaching and training I was also working in IT full-time right up until about 2008 um, which is where I switched over and then started coaching full-time I opened my first venue in 2009 and then second one in 2014 and at the same time while doing the martial arts full-time I went back to uni as a mature student I was the always the oldest one in the room which was (laughs) fine by me Um, and then I went through the um, started off with the level two um, gym instructor course. Then I did a level three PT and then a foundation degree and then a top up to an honors degree and then a master's. And now I'm on to a a professional doctorate at the moment, which brings me to um, the subject which you've mentioned, which is the Maple, which is a a program for coaching children, if you like, with an emphasis on physical literacy. With the aim being, um, if we can keep children in martial arts and sport longer then the more likely to reap the benefits of um, the sport that they're in and the physical activity if you like awesome i love that i just um i was doing a coaching session with a whole bunch of instructors not too long ago and just to echo what you've said um one of our jobs as, as far as we're concerned as instructors is to keep the children training long enough so that we can have a positive impact on what they're doing because you know if somebody joins up and then quits a couple of years later that's not always enough time to see a real impact in 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 what they're doing before we go on to maple uh, because it's just occurred to me that you you launched your first full-time in 2009 is that right 2009 the year after the recession i was just about to say how how did you fare because 2008 (laughs) massive recession and then you open up in 2009 well i went that's awesome I went full-time in 2008. Wow. <laughs> Just as the recession hits. But as it happened, uh, uh, what I did in 2007 was I wanted to do this full-time, and I thought to myself, right, what I'm going to do is my full-time job for a year, and at the same time, increase the number of classes that I was teaching. So and you were doing, then you were do doing some... IT full-time and increasing your martial arts classes? Yeah, that... that... <laughs> Just to give you uh, an idea of what my life's always been like, <laughs> when I was at university the first time around studying IT yeah. um, at Huddersfield University, I was also um, teaching Taekwondo twice a week. I had my own business upgrading and repairing PCs, and I was teaching twi- two nights a week at Leeds College of Technology as well, uh, wow. an IT PC upgrade and repair. So my life has always been um, kind of on the edge a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm beginning to feel like an underachiever. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah, how, how did you find like making the because I know that a lot of people out there at the moment and, and I apologize because this is I didn't anticipate this conversation. There are a lot of people at the moment who are trying to make the jump from part time coaching to full time clubs. So what would you say is like one of the biggest 
things that you struggled with with that transitional period in terms of going from full-time IT to actually, you know what, not doing IT anymore, full-time teaching and coaching of, of, of your club? Um, the 2008 period um, was, it, it wasn't particularly easy because I was trying to expand new clubs at different venues at the same time. Oof. And this was pre Super Wizard Facebook days, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. We were still posting leaflets through doors and things like that. But um, come 2009, when we opened his full, first full-time venue, um, I think that primarily the children's programme that we put in place for the four to six-year-olds was the main reason that we grew to 200 members fairly quickly because right. that was without without the usual digital marketing that we've got now, you know, yeah. Google Ads and, and, and Facebook and things like that. So we didn't have any of that. Um, so what we did was we put in a, a four to six year old class at five o'clock, uh, Monday to Friday. Mm. And because that filled up really quickly, we then put some in at four o'clock as well. And then we had a couple of them on a Saturday morning too. And then we were laughing and smiling to themselves saying, this is great. You know, all the classes are full and buzzing. And, and then, and then somebody says, well, where are you going to put them? After <laughs> seven years old, or, you know, when they're past the six years old. So then what we did was we converted all the five o'clock classes to junior taekwondo classes. So we had somewhere for them to move. And that, in essence, were the early starter days of creating this participation development model where you have a pathway for students to go through from the mm. Little Dragons all the way up. So the guys that we've got now working for us at the moment, there's 17, 18-year-olds, and one of them an apprentice that's um, working for us full-time now. They all started with us as Little Dragons. That's you know? amazing. But that takes time. So what tends to happen with that transition is that Nowadays, it's it's easier to do the marketing part and get people through the door. Um, but what tends to happen is the the fix the first problem of mobums on seats. Yeah. But then the second problem is I've just created this huge job for myself of teaching all these people, <laughs> doing the administration, doing everything else. Um, so staffing tends to be the second problem that people face. And then the third problem in this triangle is um, assessing what the teach so that they're teaching a good system and they're delivering it in, a, in an appropriate way for the age groups and the ability and everything else that they've got. So they actually retain the students. So you've got marketing um, to get the bum, people's bums on seats, people through the door. You've got your product, which is your retention. And then the third thing to make sure you don't kill yourself coaching is the efficiency, which is your software, it's your staffing. And it's everything else to make sure that you're not reinventing the wheel and mm. spending all your time doing something that some you might be able to do, you know, in 10 minutes a week or something. That's a really uh, good so chance because, you know, we, we've all been there. And <laughs> the temptation to try and differentiate yourself from your competition is to make everything brand new and reinvent it all. You don't need to, not these no, days. Your, your individual unique selling position, if you like, will come out over time. Mm. It's not something that you... If you have um, a unique aspect to what you do, um, that tends to change over the years. You know, mm. if you set that up when you first set up, um, because it's sort of dictated to really by um, your skill level and competence and the people that you're attracting. So you could say that your position is this, but if you don't have the skill to uh, fulfill the requirement for that and you don't have the people that want that, then what's the point in that? Absolutely. So refined over the years. Yeah, and this is it. Don't be frightened of changing. I like, absolutely love. I'm sure yeah, that I'm yeah. sure your organisations since 2008 have changed numerous times. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say as well, if you, if you, if you're coming from a hardcore background where most of the time is spent going around competitions and things like that, there's no reason why you can't do both. Mm. But usually, what you've got to have is 
you've got to have the classes and programs and everything else that actually pays for your venue. And then if you want to go off around Europe coaching people, um, then you can still do that, but just label it as your hobby. Yeah. Like unless that. unless your your club actually makes money from doing that, you know, going off and coaching, which we always coach for free around Europe. Um, mm. The last competition that we did, in fact, uh, before the pandemic was um, in March 2020, where we were wow. at the Dutch Open. Um, yeah, so that's the last one that we did. We've done one. Um, uh, we've done one since, I think, but. Yeah, it's, uh, that was the last competition. So I still do that stuff and I still enjoy teaching jiu-jitsu to adults and stuff. But what I do is I have all the core programs behind our family values, if you like. Mm. They take priority in terms of times and resources. And then the other stuff, which are my hobby, um, if you like, then that comes after that. And, you know, we still have it, but um, I make sure that, you know, all the instructors are paid and the venues provided yeah. for and the service uh, requirements are met for the, the core market, if you like. Love it. Now let's fast forward to Maple, because I, I, I got distracted there. I swear, <laughs> I, got, I swear we both have ADHD. Um, but so, so Maple, one of the things that caught my eye back when I was sort of first doing my thing and I, I started looking at the wider martial arts community was, was you and, and your work with what you're doing with Maple. Um, so I think it's too much to, to, to talk about all of it here today because it is a huge, huge thing that you're doing. But could you just give us a little bit of background of where Maple came from? Like what sparked the idea of, oh, this needs to be done and this is how we're going to do it. And you've got a few different systems in play that help with all different types of children, uh, especially like neurodivergent children as well. And we'll come on to that in a little bit. But where, where did Maple come from? Um, it started, I think, when I was coaching full-time and I had my own full-time venues and our original program was based on um the little dragons program mm. um I've still got a tatty manual for that somewhere but um as far as I know when that was when Kimber produced that in 2001 I think it was I mm. mean um, in, in line with century as well um, they were the sponsors for it I don't think it actually got updated any point after that um, okay. So even these days, you'll see the uniforms around a lot and the branding around. Yeah, I, I see um, that time to time. But what tends to happen is that people either deliver the little dragon stuff as it was then, um, or they just teach what they teach the adults, but they teach it to the kids and yeah. throw some games in there. Yeah. Um, and, and over the years, I've sort of refined the idea of uh, coaching children with my background going back into education. Um, so I've got a better understanding now of the wants and needs of the children, um, as well as um, how to deliver uh, content for them, if you like. So it's, it motivates them and it's in line with their uh, wants and needs. Nice. So that started when I realized that when people pass a black belt in the martial art that they practice, um, then they're into this position where they can go off and get indemnity insurance, DBS, and start coaching. Um, and it's bad enough that they can coach just anybody without any coaching um, experience. Uh, but at the same time, it's even worse that they can go out and coach children. Yes. Oh, at I, least they're an adult agree. and they have a better understanding of an adult's wants and needs. Um, but often, if they don't have kids especially, they don't always understand the wants and needs of uh, the children. Well, it's because, the, the, you know, unless you have a very good system in play, which I know that you do, um, that there is no regulation for our industry. So you don't have to have any form of a coaching 
anything in order to teach martial arts. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. And anybody who's um, listened to me long enough will, and, and I, I think all of us are on the same page, is that we need some kind of regulation when it comes to teaching kids, especially. Yeah, Otherwise, we don't know, really know what we're doing. Yeah, there's, there's, I think the system's coming online now, which may help in the mm. future. Uh, I know that British Taekwondo, their first for sport um, qualification is is um, majority online. So it's a generic coaching qualification. And then it's got a bolt on for Taekwondo. Um, and there's no reason they're going to be doing the same for the level two as well. Um, but there's no reason that other martial arts couldn't do the same where they have the level two qualification in coaching. Um, and I understand that um, we'll get backlash from people saying that, well, my karate is different to judo or something like that. But having done being on coach education um, pathway from the lower levels up to the doctorate level. And I've been doing these courses with people that teach lacrosse, gymnastics, rugby union, and it adds to the conversation rather than takes away from it, to yeah. be honest, when you've got a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds. And, and this is it. It's like, it's not about the style that you teach because nobody's going to regulate your style. Okay. That's, that can that's, be a bolt on anywhere for that. Yeah, exactly. It, it's about how you approach teaching children. And that is the same across any physical mm. sport or activity. It's, it's not what you teach. It's, it's how you teach it. Um, making sure that you're meeting the needs of the kids, which uh, you sent me a little thing a little while back, which is something I definitely want to talk about. If you're if you're happy to do so, it's the who what, what it is, but it's the who what how principle. Oh yeah, the uh, the yeah. Uh, so I I yeah. found this really really interesting in terms of a structure for for teaching. So could you take us through this principle? So you've got it's separated into a, a the first bit of it was the sort of triangle, if you like, um, and then you've got the uh, the what you're going to be teaching, the curriculum, if you like, um, which is what I'm working on at the moment with the course um, to help coaches uh, give them access to a framework, really, where they can drop in their um, basic syllabus of techniques into a framework that has everything else built out. Nice. But I don't want to do it as a, a done-for-you program because I mm. want some coach education within it because I know they want to change it. And if they want to change it, they need to know um, the different aspects and how they interplay with each other before they start making changes, if you like, to make sure they're still ticking the, the boxes yeah. and the original reasoning behind the creation of the program. Um, so if I can help do that and create this framework so it cuts down on a lot of time, then that's what I'm working on. That's the what um, to teach. And then the, the other big part of it is the who um, you're teaching. So you've got the what you're teaching and then you need to take into account who you're teaching and their wants and needs. Um, and obviously uh, when the children start off, at, we start teaching at three years old mm. as they go through to um, and past peak height velocity, which is at 16 years old, um, sort of past that stage by about then, then th there's a lot of difference in their growth and maturation yeah. in that period. And, and on top of that as well, you've got to take into account um, when you're looking at the who, in terms of training age too, how long they've been doing it too. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third part of that triangle, I think off the top of my head is the how to teach, um, which is your, um, the, uh, your coaching practice basically mm -hmm. and your pedagogy, the way that you're delivering the content, the what, if you like. So they're the three main aspects, but the diagram also takes into account um, you, where you're at and mm -hmm. your skills. And then on top of that, you layer on there the club, if you like, as well as a, as a stakeholder too. Um, and they're going to have influence based on the, um, the 
club's mission, vision and values and where they're heading. It's basically the environment that you're delivering these classes under, if you like, because it'll be different. You know, if you if you deliver at your club, you know that the way that you deliver may change based on the fact that you might have to take it into a school. Yeah, and that's a good point. And stuff that you, yeah. do. you may do contact with children in your club, but then when you go into a school, um, that'll be taken out usually um, for the school children. Um, so yeah, that 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 covers the whole breakdown, if you like. And that's what I'm trying. I'm going to. I'm looking at restructuring a little bit the Maple website so the articles fit within that framework. Yeah, um, to a certain extent. Because you you do a lot of uh, you do a lot of blogging and a lot of Facebook and a lot of uh, articles. It's free out there for anybody to read, and um, I've caught myself reading them many many times and just kind of like nodding along, going, "Man, this is really good." Um, you, you you've put a few out recently. You've got a poll going on at the moment about obviously articles that you're going to come up to in the future. Um, but could you talk to us a little bit about the, the, the breakdown of your, your different ages and how you might approach different ages? Because uh, as an example, what we do for ages uh, four, five and six is that the focus is very much on physical um, and personal development. So they'll learn the curriculum as is for their age range. But we also focus on things like hand-eye coordination, dexterity, balance. So we play games with them to build those different areas in their body we also look at like their social um sort of uh, maturity at that age and how we can best teach um so how is it that maple kind of breaks down the different age groups and approaches them differently i know and i know that's a huge topic and i'm asking you to is, really <laughs> boil it down if we just look at it sort of from the physical point of view to start with mm. then uh, one of the problems that we had when we first started is that we ran for the first year we ran um classes for four to six year olds which was okay that worked and then we extended it to three year olds and the reason that we did that is because my 15 year old daughter was three years old ah. <laughs> my sister's daughter was three years three old years, and my yep, yep, yep. mom's boss's son was three years old so we thought <laughs> they don't listen to us at home but let's give it a go yeah um and it, it worked but <laughs> what we found was although the kids had listened there was a big development difference between the three-year-old and a six-year-old huge amount of development that happens between them ages is huge um so then we trialed converting remember i said that we had at first we had uh, loads of four six-year-olds and then we yeah. converted the five o'clock ones to junior taekwondo which was six and above for us yeah um and then what we did was further down the line we converted some of the five uh, the five to six-year-old classes into three to four-year-olds and then others ah, were five to sixes yep and that gave us then the ability to differentiate for the three to fours um, and we were able to run um, classes of 30 minutes of the three to fours. On a couple of occasions, uh, on request, when we first started it from parents, we ran it, the three to fours, for 45 minutes like we did for the five to sixes. Oh, okay. And what happened both times is that you tend to lose them at around 35 minutes. Yeah. Um, so after that, we just stuck to it. And then that's uh, that's sort of been backed up then by other governing bodies and stuff for their young kids programs doing similar sort of uh, it make it makes total sense you see you are seeing more and more 30 minute lessons for the much younger students which i think yeah, is yeah. spot on um now i had this question in the team meeting literally a week ago so i'd be interested and it's not a trick question i'd just be interested to see how you would approach it so one of my instructors approached me and they said why are we charging the same price give or take for the older groups when they've got an hour and the younger groups, when they've got 30 minutes to 45 minutes. 
Um, so, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but it no, just I came mean, one of the when you're talking about 30 minutes. There's lots of different reasons that you can give for that, but one of the main differentiators that the parents will understand is that when we run a three to four year old class, we'll have a maximum of 12 students with two instructors. Nice. Yeah. When we move up to the um, the juniors, which is uh, six to 12 year olds, then we'll have a maximum of 18 kids with two instructors. Yeah. Love uh, it. So that's that's the main reason that we give on that for the 15 minutes less, if you like. Um, and, and that tends to work for us. And what we also do, we make sure that when we run these sessions with for the kids specifically, we have a 15 minute gap in between. Yeah. And that gives us time. Well, not me personally now, but it used to be. But it gives the instructors time to go out and speak to the parents, speak nice. to the children about non martial art related uh, yeah. stuff what they're doing at school where they're going on holiday so you're not doing too much of that you can do a little bit of it in class but not too much because you know what it's like right, yeah, totally. 10 minutes once one person starts it's yeah, like an avalanche everybody starts it's like <laughs> it, when um we see it all the time when when a when a four-year-old or a five-year-old starts talking about oh i love dinosaurs the <laughs> yeah, whole yeah. class starts talking mobbed. about dinosaurs and what they like it's like guys we're here to do some martial arts it's one of those lovely social things i think we, we use a a system where we uh connect that knowledge and redirect nice so we we say something we get on their level to connect with them yeah if it's, you know one kid that started off and everybody else has stopped um we we connect with them we acknowledge what they're saying and then we just redirect them then into the uh, next activity amazing <laughs> that's also so again if you're listening that's that's i would say that's worth writing down so you take so it's, so it's connect connect and knowledge what they're saying and then redirect so connect, connect got acknowledge and redirect because just an acknowledge a fluffy acknowledgement and then a continuation on is, is not usually enough for them to feel like they've been heard if you yep. like and this is it one of the, one of the reasons that I've, I've just wrote um not an article basically a post on the importance of uh mat chats at the beginning of your sessions and one of those reasons yeah, was that. so that the little ones have a voice that's heard in a controlled environment yeah, yeah. our youngsters understanding that they have a voice and understanding that they are they have the right to be heard is is a massive building block in their confidence um so i love the fact that you've just said that that three-step process allows them to feel like they've been heard but then regains control and redirects the class that's amazing i've learned something today i'm going to be introducing because i'm one of those i'm guilty of it even now um with with my experience i will acknowledge because i love to talk i will uh what was the second stage uh, the first one was connect then that's it i'll connect i'll acknowledge, acknowledge but i'll usually it. carry on I'll, I'll try and just get back on with the class but now it's so what does redirect look like in a, in a practice does redirect sense? look like um so once you've uh, connected with them using the name and uh, you know appropriate eye contact and stuff um and then you acknowledge that you know that's nice or whatever it is uh, whatever it is that they're talking about then from there um you adding the redirect onto the uh, gotcha. the topic. So you, you, you're basically acknowledging that what they're saying. Oh, you like Triceratops. Oh, I like the T-Rex. Ah, okay, we're just going to jump onto this. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. Love it. Okay, so the, cool. the herd, and they're not, you, they don't feel like you're just ignoring them and talking over them. Yeah, you're not yeah. shutting them down. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's massive for, for confidence in little children because um, as they grow up, if they're just constantly shut down, then they feel like they can't say what they want to. So they never raise an opinion, either yeah. in a classroom or if it goes all the way through their life, they never raise their opinion at work. They're not the one. And I'm, I'm talking, you know, years down the line. 
Um, they're not the ones that get the promotions because they never put themselves forward for promotions at work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these little things that we do, ages three to six year olds, has a massive knock on effect. And I know that there are other things there. It's like it's not all down to one single thing, but um, that's that's the way that it works. It's these building blocks. Yeah, I mean, one of the uh, if I can give anybody a tool or a theory that can help with engagement, the the most proven one with the most research behind it. Um, is uh, basically looking at um, self-determination theory. Mm. Um, and the first one in that is autonomy. So self-determination theory is a theory of intrinsic motivation. Yep. And I can't think of anybody that wants to get them in, uh, get sh- the kids in the class to do what they want them to do um, because they're telling them to do it. Yep. You want them yep. to do the class because they want to do it. Nobody wants to have a kid at the door going, no, I don't want to do it. All the the door frame like this while you're dragging them in. You want them to do it because they want to do it. And to do that, you've got to build intrinsic motivation. Um, and this is core to the whole of Maple really more than anything else because it's core behind um, what they call uh, child-centered coaching, mm. which is where you, you, you're differentiating and you're delivering everything for that particular child, if you like. In, in practice, you know, you've got a group of them children, but, um, you know, you're doing it for a child of that age, a typical child of that age, Love and you're putting it. them first. So autonomy is one um, of self-determination uh, theory, and that's important throughout the ages, none so more than when they hit the teenage years. Mm. But on top of that, you've got um, in with that, you've got mastery or um, the feeling of competence, you know, Ah. so nobody wants to do, none of the kids want to do something that rubbish at nine times out of 10. If you give them two choices of two different drills to do, they'll do the one that that can do the best. It's why in schools, uh, a lot of the time, children's favorite topics are the ones they're good at, you know, children like maths. If they're good at maths, it's not the topic, it's the enjoyment that they get out of it because of how good they are at it. And often I find, and again, feel free to correct me at any stage um, if you've got a different point of view, because that's what this conversation is about. But I often find that a lot of that, whether a child becomes good at something, yes, a little bit of ability, but also how the coach or teacher approaches that subject. I was just going to say I had a conversation with my 15 year old daughter the other day. (laughs) Um, put around this subject and it was pulling out the subjects that she enjoyed the most mm. and then when she gave me the subjects then I was like do you enjoy their subjects because of the uh, content that you're covering or because of the teacher and the way that you relate to them and their interpersonal skills and the majority of the time the subjects that she enjoys are often down to more empathetic and yeah. um, teachers that can connect better uh, with the children basically so that's why this self-determination theory is important because the third aspect to it is the feeling of belonging or relatedness oh. so the community aspect if you like and the connection of it all so if you feel that you've got a connection to someone then it's a lot easier to um, have a conversation with them and do things together and, and just like that coach student coach relationship is you know you need to have that connection so yeah. that's why connection is so important too so that self-determination theory I've, I've, I've got an article specifically on that i think but amazing if you were um, if you if you ping the article over i'll put that in the show notes so people, yeah, sure. this, yeah, this yeah. is awesome um and again just sprung to mind i swear we both have adhd <laughs> when it comes to uh building that community do you find that it's often because uh people can go to you or your coaches your instructors and they may have an issue be it martial arts related or something else because we all know that 
like it or not, part of our job is, is counsellor to our members because they do discuss their problems with us. Um, do you find that it's because they know that we're a safe environment where they're not going to get judged? We, we teach them and we help them with self-discipline, but we very rarely, or we shouldn't, we, we very rarely judge our students. Their problems are their problems and we're there to help. So, because I often found at school that I would avoid the what I thought were the judgy teachers. As mm. like, oh, Damien, you're not very good at this topic. Are you? Like, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing to get into uh, at some point, which is expectations. Yeah, setting expectations too. You know, you, you get what you think about the most. And if you if you if you have low expectations of a child, don't be surprised if you get them uh, that comes to light and you get them low expectations materializing. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a, a couple of studies based on this where um, they went into a school and said to half the teachers, uh, the students that you've got are super intelligent and they're going to be going on to this next highest grade. Have you read that? Yeah. Yes, I have. I uh, love these studies. And then in Carry the end, on, it's great. it turns out that they're just students randomly picked, you know, out of the other uh, yep. students from the school. But because the teachers... Te they the teachers treated them like genius level students they yeah. did better on their exams because yeah, they were yeah, like yeah. oh they're they can they can handle this that yeah, we're giving yeah. them so it's not I bad to it. have higher expectations but um what you've got to do is make sure you've got the scaffold in there to um support uh their journey if you like there's an interesting article um uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It was like a sergeant major that came across from UCLan to Leeds Met when I was doing my undergrad um, to do a guest lecture spot. Um, Dave, oh, what's his surname? I can't remember his surname. It'll come to me in a minute. Anyway, that he wrote an article uh, along with uh, another lady from UCLan, which was called um, Rocky Road, Why Talent Needs Trauma. Oh. Um, and it talks about the fact that um, in terms of players and athletes, the ones that had trauma in their life and had to get over that um, with the appropriate level of support uh, went on to reach higher goals than the um, the ones that didn't have any yes. um, ups and downs, speed bumps, as I call them, in, in the road. But you've just got to make sure they've got the uh, that element of support. So higher the challenge, um, higher the level of support, if you like, in the scaffolding that you've got. I, I love that because um, I, I learned that the hard way. So we, we become better because we overcome challenges. So if we have no challenges in our lives and everything is smooth sailing, the longer it is until we hit a speed bump, the less likely we are to continue past that speed bump. Um, so I, I like my kids to have little challenges early. Um, yeah. But I, I learned the hard way years ago. There was one student, and I will never forget this student because this is when I learned that lesson. We used to do distinctions. We don't anymore. I don't believe in them because a distinction is a form of <laughs> external motivation that I don't agree with. So we don't do distinctions. I used but, to do worse. Go on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this person from white belt all the way through to green belt when she quit got a distinction at every single grading because she was very physically good. The moment she didn't get that distinction, she quit literally mm. the next day now the parents didn't tell me this is why they quit the parents still don't know why she quit mm. um but i guarantee you it's because she was too used to doing really well and had come across no speed bumps on her journey no massive challenges up until greenbelt and then she was like nope i'm out i'm done i regret doing this but back when we first started teaching taekwondo this is awful we used to put out um, a spreadsheet of uh, marks no it was, it was listed in you know better 
better at the top <laughs> and worse at the, at bottom. the bottom. Oh, how oh, long ago man. was this? Please I'm tell so me. I'm so glad I didn't win with that. The things oh, that we do because you know that's that's the way it's always been done. Well, this I mean, is, this is in contrast you... to how we grade our little dragons kids now. So for the three to fours and the five to six year olds, basically we have a small grading now mm. uh, where they come in and there'll be six to eight of them and they'll get up in front of the peers and demonstrate the stuff that they need to do. If they get up and demonstrate what they need to do, they pass. Yeah. We don't care of the quality or um, their achievement or anything else. We just don't care. Um, but what we are trying to do is model effort. Nice. So if they get up, if they're, if they're confident enough to get up in front of the peers and have a go, that'll do for us. If, if they don't come in and they don't take part in the grading, we don't give them a, a new belt, but you know, they have got to get up and, 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 and perform if you like. Of course, of course. We'll give them the uh, appropriate scaffolding that they need, you know, to that, be able to see, do that. I love that because there's a lot of evidence and, and I, I, I try and teach from this ethos that there's a lot of evidence that if you reward results, people will always be result orientated. But if you, re if you reward efforts, people will always try regardless of their natural ability and if they're willing to try we are able to teach better and longer because they stay with us mm -hmm. so i i i am a, a big fan of effort over results rewarding yeah effort and process that's what we're after if we can if we can praise genuinely praise effort and process big key there um, is genuinely for yeah, yeah 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 absolutely yeah. i mean there was um the growth mindset book by carol dweck um she re-released that specifically because people took that and then thought oh i know how to fix this we just praise everything that everybody did. johnny lifts up his hand he praises it walks without falling over he gets praise and everybody gets praise all the time and and that is not the way you build a growth mindset um because the kids just see it as background noise yep background noise i've, I've um, read if, uh, if everybody's read winning the all the time every day then nobody's winning no, absolutely. And this is funny enough, it came up in the team meeting not just long ago is like, you have to find that balance, you have to praise genuinely. But at the same time, you have to be what is called a good finder, you have to go and find the good. Of course. Um, of course. Uh, otherwise, you could be like, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to compliment the student on. Well, then don't until you yeah, find yeah. something that's good, doesn't matter how small it is, but you have to do genuine praise because it could be the and this is a very arbitrary example, the foot position is wrong on a kick, but the chamber was excellent. Praise the chamber and then work on the foot, the, 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 the uh, foot position. What you don't want to do is go, Johnny, that was an amazing kick. Young man, keep it up. It's like, but what about my <laughs> kick was amazing? Cause I know the foot was floppy on the end. Yeah. 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 And I put zero effort in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put no effort in that. And teenagers especially are very, uh, they're very switched on like so if you start to compliment them disingenuously they're like no get lost you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, know. And, and then they start to lose interest because it's like i'm only going to go here he's going to give me a high five and then i'm going to come home and i didn't learn or do anything it's like and they feel cheated so you've got to be really careful with your teenagers and that, that's if you want to keep them into the uh, the later years where they can help you out with the teaching and stuff totally as well. absolutely uh, I, mean, I, I love teaching teenagers and I, mean, I don't know if you've had a different experience but they are one of the most difficult to recruit from new so most of our teenagers have come 100%. through our junior ranks yeah 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 all our teenagers well i'd say the majority of our team all our teenagers that are coaching now were dragons mm, wow um, so we do amazing retention we don't look at recruiting um teenagers ever 
Um, we don't even really look at recruiting adults, to be honest, other than in the jiu-jitsu program. Yeah. So what we do is we focus on um, parents in the local area with children between the ages of three and 11. Mm. And most of the time they come to us as dragons, but some of the time they come to us as older kids. Yeah. And then we get the parents involved in the classes and, and that's how we have, you know, a mixture of adults and teenagers and kids because we keep them that length very, of time. Very similar. We, we do recruit, we have adults only classes, uh, but there's only two a week. Um, so we don't put loads in, but we also run classes where the adults can come and join in with the children. And most of our adult only members who train in those adults only groups come from the groups where they've been, you know, training with their kids. Um, so yeah, we don't, we, we do a very similar setup in, in, in that sense that we, we don't just train or we don't go looking for, for adults in the local community. Um, which family club. That's what yeah, basically, it. yeah, basically a fa- family club. Um, and, it, and it's, it's worked really well so far. Um, but it's, if you it's, enjoy teaching them, you know, these totally. people as well, it makes your life a lot easier. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, and and, this and is you it. enjoy work. If, if you're in a position where you have the freedom to pick what classes you want to teach, because you, and again, harken back to what you were saying about if you want to, um, do the circuit you want to compete well to make sure that your club is financially you know profitable um why not have other people run the classes you don't like teaching yeah you know? just yeah, teach yeah. the ones you do at the moment i teach um we've got 30 classes a week at each of the venues i teach um on one day uh, on a monday at the leeds venue i'll teach a advanced take on a class which i have some of the instructors in as well as other advanced grades and then i'll teach a, a, an adult um jiu-jitsu class nice and then when i when i'm at the halifax venue on a thursday i'll do the same there mm. so i'll have some of the instructors in i'll teach an advanced class and then i'll uh, advance taekwondo then i'll teach uh, an adult jiu-jitsu and then the only other two classes that i'll teach is sport taekwondo uh, that's for the people that want to compete if you like yeah. but even that said we still have kids in there that and, and adults parents as well that train just because they enjoy it yeah um but from that, we will have some people that go on to compete um, national championships and international competitions and stuff. But they, 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 those classes come after the core classes. Yes. Um, yeah. so we, we, we have something similar. It says we have, uh, we have what we call RAW, which is a weapons class, real active for weapons, all safety weapons. We never use life blades and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but that's, that's, a, that's an addition. That is only as well as but never instead of the uh, the core curriculum yeah, yeah, yeah. and we have um advanced grading classes so if you're a, a certain belt rank uh you come into this class and we don't really cover anything lower level we do but it's in the warm-up um but we will have like the occasional orange belt or or yellow belt he'll come in and i'm like you're welcome to come and train we are not doing your belt level and they know that they have to keep up, but they like the extra physical challenge. Um, and so, yeah, we do get a few of the lower ranks that come on in. I'm not going to admit it's very rarely children. It's usually the adults. Yeah. We do the same as well. Push them too hard, too young. And um, a, they'll fall out of love uh, and B it's not right for them physically. It's like they, they have a certain physical ability that we have to be able to match. Otherwise we're pushing them too hard. So that's what we do for his family classes as well. We have, we have the three to fours and then we have the five to sixes, but the family classes are um, six and seven upwards. Nice. Um, and then by the time you get to the advanced classes, then generally at that stage, you're sort of 11 years, 11 yeah. and 12 and up. 
um, by the time you get to the advanced classes. What we what we did over the pandemic, we used to have beginner classes and advanced classes for the Taekwondo. Oh, okay. Um, but to make it easier for Zoom classes, Makes sense. we reallocated into beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Oh, so you split them down three times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And we've kept that now. Nice. That. So that that's made its way back into your physical locations. It has, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's been good because the teachers only need to, the coaches only need to deliver the content that's appropriate for those grades. Yeah. And like you said, if you get a higher grade that is just doing an extra session a week, you know, in one of the other classes, because they've got a sibling in there or a daughter or a son or something like that, then that's okay. But they just understand that we're not going to be covering the high level curriculum. It totally. makes it a lot more targeted. I like that. And, and this is it. So some people like, like myself, some people are going to struggle to find the time because we do it from school halls or yeah, community yeah. centers. So every extra class is more money. Mm. Um, but if you're able to, you know, get the members and financially balance it, splitting your classes down is a great way to go because a, you create more space on the map for new members and B because you're targeting the curriculum better people feel that they're getting more for their classes and you're able to teach them better. So yeah, yeah. You know, it's swings and roundabouts. Like the way that we cope with it is we have a massive team. So like in one class, we might have six, seven, eight, nine different ranks, but it's the class is split down. It's like, you're with that instructor, you're with that instructor, you're with that. And so they're all doing slightly different things for their ranks. Uh, whereas you can get over that problem if you don't have a team by like what you've done, even though you do have a team. So you've got the best of both worlds, <laughs> splitting them into different rank levels as much as you possibly can. What you have to work out is that when you first start, um, you've got a smallish team. If you're going to scale, then what tends to happen is that you change your systems and classes mm. and programs with your people. So when you first start, you've got lots of beginners, a few intermediate and one or two advanced. Mm. But then over the years, we've got hordes of um, um, advanced grades now and black belts and, and higher down grades and stuff. But it, it happens over time and you change your program and your curriculum and everything else as your people change, basically. Yeah. Your club grows and scales over time. I love it. Now, um, I have got to go and teach a, an after-school club soon. Um so there are two things. Number one, if you're open for it, I would love to bring you back in and get more into Maple and the, the stages of development of kids because I've just absolutely loved shooting the breeze today and go back and forth. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. But number two, I ask all people who come on here for the first time, what would you say is the biggest mistake you've ever made, um, either training or business or what have you, that you've learned the most from that's allowed you to push forward? I, I like I like the easy mistake. questions. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think one of the biggest mistakes for most people, including myself, early on, was um, trying to do it all myself. Mm. Uh, as you as you scale your club and get more members, um, you've got to scale your staffing um, and your systems and support as well. So if you just do it all all the time, then you won't have a period when you can be ill, go on holiday, spend time with your family, or anything else. Um, so start off small and just have somebody helping you out with the admin to start with. Um, if you've got your own full-time venues, then please just get a cleaner. Get a cleaner. <laughs> um, yes. Your yeah. time is too valuable um, to be doing um, tasks that can be delegated to someone else that they'll that. do just as well. So what I, I, I've got a saying that I tend to, I've got listed on my list of 20 values, which is um, delegate where I don't add value nice because it's not about undervaluing the person who's doing that job 
but it's making it's sure that they I, can't add value. Yeah, if you can't add value, why are you doing it? Yeah, because yeah. there are cleaners, they are professionals, they're going to do a better right. job, much better job <laughs> than you are at cleaning your dojo or, or your facility. Love that. So say that again. So uh, it's one of my list of 20 values, which is delegate where I don't add value. Amazing. Absolutely. And, and that's a big check for, for someone like me because I'm in the process where I have a team of like 14, actually no, now six, 16 adult instructors and a whole bunch of junior instructors. And I don't delegate anywhere near enough. And I think a lot of it is because a lot of us martial arts people out there are, are <laughs> control freaks. We've built this from nothing and we struggle to let go. There's <laughs> another tip on that side. Don't try not to delegate tasks as such. If you can yeah. delegate responsibility nice. and ownership, that tends to work better. So you'll give them some training for what they're doing, but then hand that to them. Oh. Um, and you still check up on them. You still got to, you know, doing um, training in between and things like that. But try to delegate the responsibility, if you like, or the ownership. Yeah. Um, so they take ownership. So delegate responsibility. Delegate responsibility. Let them take ownership. That's amazing. Honestly, anybody listen to this? Uh, this conversation for me has been filled with little golden nuggets of info. Um, so a massive thank you so much, Philip, for coming on and no talking problem. with me. And I'd love to have you back in the future, 100%. Happy to. Happy awesome. To. Take it easy, dude. Thank you so much. See you later. And that was myself and Phil. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I even forewarned Phil that I might get a little bit uh, excited. And I apologized if I if I jump in because I have a very bad habit still of uh, of wanting to join in the conversation when I get excited about something. But uh, he was an absolute gent and I genuinely appreciate his time. We've been trying to put that interview together now for three, four weeks. It might even have been you know, a month to six weeks. But because of my children being ill and me being ill, I had to cancel on the man a couple of times. So I really, really appreciate uh, Phil's time and, and rescheduling. Absolute gent. Now, what Phil has also done is provided us with uh, three articles that I put in the show notes that you may find extremely useful when it comes to uh, trying to either explain these things or putting a system together so that you yourself can can take some of the information that we discussed and uh, and actually put it into action because the whole point of this podcast is a so that we all learn uh, everybody who comes on here, I try to bring in a different specialty uh, or, or a different take on the same kind of thing so that we're all learning as we go. But on the flip side, of course, it just also means that I get to speak to amazing people like Phil and, and like so many of the other guests that I've done so already that I might not normally be able to. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, having a reason to reach out to these wonderful people and speak with them. Uh, so the podcast allows me to do that. So I really, really appreciate Phil's time. Now, uh, as you'll also know, uh, we don't have any sponsors. The reason being is I like to be able to speak to whomever I please. Uh, and anybody who did sponsor would have to <laughs> would have to fall in line with that. I'm not going to have that dictated to me. But we do have uh, Matt Chapman's Mittmaster course. There's an affiliate link in the show notes as well. So if you're thinking about getting anything from Mittmaster and you want to help the pod out, uh, he's very kindly provided an affiliate link. So if you go through there, uh, then the podcast gets a kickback. And I put that towards things like uh, new equipment, uh, reaching out to new people. Not actually that we've ever had to pay for anyone to come on the pod. Everybody is very kindly given their time for free. But I want to bring your attention to 
Matthew Chapman's uh, courses so that if you do fancy uh, kind of having a look at seeing what he's he's got, do that through our affiliate link. It really helps us out. Uh, also, um, Spotify, which is where we kind of house our podcast, have just brought in a new star rating system. Obviously, they're trying to compete with Apple. So if you want to do us a favor, go on to Spotify and give us five stars. Uh, you can give us one star if you really want to, but if, if you give us one, I'm kind of wondering why it is that you're you're even listening. Uh, but yeah, go on there, give us five stars. It really helps the podcast get noticed because podcasting over the last few years has become an incredibly popular hobby, especially with COVID and isolation. I mean, what could anybody else do, really? Uh, so things like uh, video on YouTube and podcasting through Apple and Spotify have exploded over the last few years. So it really helps a, a pod like us get noticed. So yeah, pop on over there onto Spotify and give us five stars. Pop over to uh, Matthew Chapman's page through the affiliate link and you can have a look at all of the uh, programs that he's got. And if you do decide to purchase something, we get a little kickback. And of course, uh we uh i can't remember what i was gonna say i was on such a flow then see so easy so professional i'm not even gonna edit this out so yeah we just appreciate it if you use the affiliate link oh that was it i was gonna say that he's always got sales going on i know there's a few sales now so you can pick up a few decent things uh, i'll bring your attention to something that i'm i've got my eye on and that's uh his new stick boxing program you heard that right stick boxing boxing and stick Man, that sounds good. So anyway, there's loads over there for you to browse. Go and have a look. But other than that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And I look forward to next time. Ciao for now.